Okay, so like Misha said, I am training to be a teacher, um, but I've just finished working at the House of Prayer. For those of you who are confused and think that's what I'm doing right now, um, I have just finished working at the House of Prayer with Dan and Gemma, who are brilliant. Um, and as you can imagine, I learned a lot about prayer, working at the House of Prayer. Um, and one of the things that I learned um, was that people like prayer. Um, when tourists would walk in, um, even people who didn't believe in God, if you offered to pray for them, they'd accept. The idea of prayer or talking to God is not that weird to people. Like my high school friend, um, my friend in high school um, growing up, um, she didn't believe in God, but she would pray for her mum. In fact, The Independent published a story last month about how one in five non-religious people in the UK pray to God. So this idea of talking to God is not that strange for people. But what if I told you that God talks back? What if I told you that God speaks today? For some of you, this concept is not strange because you listen to God in your every day. It's part of your faith. But for others, it is, it is weird. It is strange. It's unusual. But we talk about God being a relational God. He wants to have a relationship with us. And this relationship is two-way. It's a two-way street of communication. God speaks. And it's not like Morgan Freeman in your ear while you're walking down the street. I'm, I, don't, I don't know anyone. <laughs> I'm not going to put God in a box here, but I don't know anyone who hears the audible voice of God. But God speaks. So how on earth do we listen to him? Or how on earth do we hear him? I'm going to try and demystify this concept today the best I can. And I'm, I'm first going to look at the way that God spoke to Elijah in the Bible. So if it's your first time joining us today, um, and you've never heard of Elijah before, I'm going to do a quick recap on what we've learned um, about Elijah uh, in our series of the past four weeks. Um, so this is Elijah. <laughs> it's not. It's an illustration from the internet, but <laughs> go with me here. Um, Elijah was a prophet and a holy man. Um, and we learnt in week one that he was bold and he was countercultural. When he was alive, the people of Israel were worshipping a false god called Baal rather than their god who had led them out of Egypt. Time and time again, they had turned away from God and Elijah's calling was to turn them back. Elijah was bold enough to go to the king to challenge Baal worship. He was an ordinary man, but he was extraordinary in the way that he was boldly committed and dependent on God. In week two, we looked at how Elijah was, Elijah? Not Elijah. Elijah was incredibly faithful. In his faith, he performs a miracle for a widow who has nothing and is getting ready to die of starvation. Guided by God, he tells her that the little jar of flour and jug of oil that she has will never run out. And it doesn't. Then her son dies. And Elijah has the faith to pray and intercede for the boy, who God then brings back to life. Elijah has an extraordinary faith 
for provision and for healing. In week three, we learned about how, how Elijah is incredibly obedient and passionate about God. When God tells Elijah to go back to the king who wants to kill him, he goes. And Elijah takes part in God's plan to turn the Israelites back to him. The faithful and, allied, um, and obedient Elijah demands that the Israelites gather on Mount Carmel and build an altar to their god Baal. He taunts them saying, if your god is God, then let him speak. So they build this altar and all the while they're making a fool of themselves, dancing around, trying to get Baal to reply to them. He doesn't because he's not real. And then Elijah builds his altar to his God, to their God. And he calls on the Lord, and the Lord answers by burning up the fire, the fire, the altar, by burning up the altar. God is the only one that they can rely on, and they all worship, worship him at that moment. So last week, we learned that from this, things took a bit of a turn for Elijah. Jezebel, the queen, was pretty angry <laughs> about what happened on Mount Carmel. She's, she's a bar worshiper herself. Um, and she wanted to kill Elijah. So understandably, Elijah runs for his life. In the midst of the wilderness. Sorry. In the midst of the wilderness and his own despair, Elijah calls out to God. And it's actually quite serious. It's quite funny. Um, he's really, really sad. And he wants God to take his life. He wants to pack up his bags and go home. We learnt that an extraordinary life is not devoid of pain or suffering. But we learnt that God, in our suffering, provides for us and cares for us. And he does this for Elijah. He gives him food to eat. <laughs> and the strength to go on a 40-day journey to encounter God in a new way on Mount Horeb. And that's where we start our story today. Um, and Rachel's going to read the passage for me. Thank you, Rachel. Um, if you want to read it in your Bibles, you can. It's going to be on the screen, though, so you can follow in, along there, whatever is best for you. What are you doing here? I've been working my heart out for the God of the angel armies, said Elijah. The people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed the places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Then he was told, go, stand on the mountain at attention before God. God will pass by. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God. But God wasn't to be found in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak. went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. A quiet voice asked, So, Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? Elijah said it again. I've been working my heart out for God, the God of the angel armies, because of the people of Israel have abandoned your covenant, destroyed your places of worship, and murdered your prophets. I am the only one left, 
and now they're trying to kill me. Thanks, Rachel. Okay. Um, so it's not unusual for God to be speaking to Elijah. Like I said earlier, he's a prophet. In chapter 18, it says that the Holy Spirit guides him. And the word of the Lord often comes to him as instruction. We often see this back and forth between instruction from God and obedience from Elijah. But here we have something different. We have a conversation. And God invites Elijah to this conversation with a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, coming from an all-knowing, omnipresent God, this question clearly isn't literal. He knows exactly why Elijah is where he is. He knows how he's got there. So why does he ask this question? It's because it's introspective. Like I said earlier, God is a relational God. He asked this question to Elijah, not for his benefit, but for Elijah, to give him a chance to pour his heart out to him, to give him a chance to be honest and to speak. And Elijah does just this. He says, I've been working my heart out for you. The Israelites have abandoned their connection to you, destroyed the places of worship, and killed your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. This response might well seem like one of faithfulness. He says, I'm wor- I've been working my heart out for you, but it's actually an exaggeration. I know, you know, you might know, God knows, and Elijah knows, that there are a hundred prophets that Obadiah has saved. So Elijah's not actually alone, but he certainly feels it. He's not afraid to tell God exactly what he's thinking and feeling in the moment. Whether it's true or not, he's telling God how he's feeling and what he's thinking. This is an encounter between a father and a son, and it's an honest one. Even though he exaggerates, he really is in despair. He thought he'd failed. He thought his life's work was over. He's lost his sense of identity, his sense of purpose, and his will to live. So how does God respond to this? He says, go and stand on the mountain at attention before God. I will pass by. Then what happens is a bit weird. A hurricane hits. An earthquake happens, and a fire starts. If I were Elijah at this point, (laughs) having just asked God to take my life, I think I would think that this was it. (laughs) But Elijah doesn't run away at this point. He's already run away from Jezebel. He doesn't run away from God. Clearly, he doesn't think that his life is being threatened. And the reason why, like to understand the reason why, we have to understand the significance of this moment. So this mountain that Elijah is standing on is not any mountain. This mountain is Mount Horeb. Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. This mountain is the mountain that Moses heard God in the burning bush. It's the mountain that Moses received the Ten Commandments after the thunder and lightning that came. When Elijah took the 3,750 steps to the top, he was literally following in the footsteps of Moses. I think he probably wanted to meet with God. 
And not only that, when the hurricane hits, when the earthquake happens, when the fire starts, I don't think he would have been that surprised. Because the crazy weather in this passage is a known precursor to God's presence. It occurs five times in the Old Testament. It often represents God's might and his justice. Psalm 50 verse 3 says, May our God come and not be silent. Fire devours before him and around him a mighty tempest rages. I think on this mountain, Elijah expected God to speak. And I think he expected something weird to happen in the process. And all the while this occurs before Elijah, he waits until he hears a gentle and quiet whisper. So I work with arguably the worst listeners in the world, and I'm not talking about the House of Prayer guys. I'm talking about um, my students, my secondary school students. Um, I could be standing, because I'm a trainee teacher, so I'm, I'm the bottom of the barrel in terms of gaining the respect of them. So I could be standing in front of them, and they're having conversations about what they had for dinner. They're on their phones with fidget spinners. So I have to have lots of strategies to get their attention. But my favorite one is to be completely silent. I find that when I do that, one by one, they'll turn around to see if I've self-combusted or I am, in fact, trying to teach them something. It sounds ridiculous, but it generally, generally works. Um, my students are bad listeners. Not always, but a lot of times. Elijah is a good listener. Because who's to say God wasn't in the hurricane, the earthquake, or the fire? Elijah. He discerns God's voice. He discerns that he's in the gentle whisper. And it's at this point that he covers his face in reverence and he steps out of the cave and he listens to God saying, So Elijah, now tell me, what are you doing here? I think this is a beautiful question. Setting grace in the closeness of a whisper. Elijah thought he'd have failed. But what he'd forgotten that it wasn't his efforts that had got him this far. It was God who had looked after him, who'd instructed him, provided for him, protected him. But Elijah was looking at a situation through his own eyes. Forgetting that God had been faithful through his elevated moments of boldness and his absolute low moments of despair. And God is with him in this moment. He's close to him in this moment of despair. And he says, what are you doing here again? And Elijah again says, I've been working my heart out for you. God asks the same question twice. I wonder if the second time he was expecting a different answer. Maybe God was giving Elijah a chance to change his tune, to realize that God was with him the whole time. Either way, Elijah is clearly very stuck in his own despair, as I can often be, as we can often be. Even though he's encountered God in this amazing way, nothing changes within him. But God doesn't condemn him for that. He doesn't condemn him for giving up or being stuck in his despair. God is kind, and he tells Elijah exactly what he needs to do next. 
He says, go back the way you came through the desert to Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, make him king over Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, make him king over Israel. And finally, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, they're not over there, by the way. <laughs> son of Shaphat, by Abel Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. God's response is a call to action. It's not a response of feeling. He doesn't say, I love you, I know, it's been really hard. It's going to be okay, don't worry. He says, let's crack on. Last year, I had a similar, albeit far less dramatic experience. Um, when I found out I had to postpone my course uh, because of a flare-up of my Crohn's disease. Um, I felt like God had led me to, be, to, to being a teacher. Um, and so when I found out I was ill and I had to stop my course, I was really confused and really disappointed. And I felt like if God had led me here, then surely he'd save me from this so I could carry on. After a really rubbish hospital appointment, I got home, I climbed into bed, and I prayed. And I thought that I wanted and I expected God to say, I love you, it's going to be okay, don't worry. Um, but I didn't hear that. When I was praying, a thought crossed my mind, and it was a question. And it was full of hope and full of gumption, and it directly contradicted my hopelessness, and I knew it was from God. God said in a still, small voice, well, what are you going to do now? So for some people, that's too much tough love. But for me, right there in that moment, I needed that. I needed God to say, we've got a year ahead. There's so much to do. I've got so much planned for you. You've got a life I've given you. I needed to hear that. I needed that, ho I needed that hope. And I'm not saying that when God speaks to us, that he doesn't comfort us and he doesn't respond in feeling. I'm just saying God knows exactly what we need and he offers it to us. And for Elijah in this moment, Elijah needed a call to action and a call to community. Elijah needed to know, I think, that he, he wasn't alone. God provided him people, and God provided him a way, and God provided him a purpose. We all have setbacks, failures, experience illness, death. We all end up in the wilderness like Elijah did at some point or another. But when we are in the wilderness, do we ignore God? Or do we call out to him? Do we seek after him? In the craziness and busyness of life, do we take silent moments to listen to God and to hear his insight into our life? When Elijah's in the wilderness, he runs away, but he doesn't completely run away from God. He calls out to him. He seeks him. He accepts his provision. He makes his way. He perseveres step by step to the mountain of God to be in his presence. And the good news is that we don't have to do that. <laughs> we don't have to get our walking boots on, walk all the way up the mountain. In the Old Testament, 
It was hard to get before God. Holy Spirit was only with particular people for a particular time. But Jesus came to change all of that. He died to forgive our sins so that we could be with him right now and forever. And we can be with him right now because of the Holy Spirit, who is God's presence with us, with us all the time. We don't have to go to a mountain or a specific place. He's here. Jesus said that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. This is such a gift. The Holy Spirit means that we don't ever have to be alone. We always have God with us to guide us and comfort us and support us. When we receive the Holy Spirit, he is with us always. But how does he comfort us? or guide us. There are many ways to experience the Holy Spirit and to hear God speaking to you. For me, it's a gut feeling. It's the same for my sister. It's the same for Hannah who did the talk before me at the 345. It's in my gut. I can feel this warmth or this pull. There's like a warmth or a comfort if, if I, can, I can feel the Holy Spirit near, or it's a pull if, if the Holy Spirit is nudging me to do a specific thing. For some people, it's a feeling they get in the heart. So, again, it can be like a, a warmth or a comfort. Or like, my, I was talking to my mum yesterday, um, and she said, oh, Holly, my heart aches for a specific person, for one of my friends. Um, and she knew that she had to pray for that person. God often interacts with our thoughts and our imaginations in order, order to speak to us. God is spirit. He talks spirit to spirit. And so when I, when I told you that story about God saying, well, what are you going to do now? I could have easily passed off that thought. I could have easily said, oh, that was just a thought that popped into my mind. But that thought gave me comfort and it changed my perspective. And so I, I believe, I had faith that that was God speaking to me. <laughs> um, I heard a story recently one of my friends, I don't know if she's here. I won't say her name just in case. Um, <laughs> she um, experiences complete joy in the Holy Spirit. So when she feels the Holy Spirit, she is so happy. And she just can't, she has a smile across her face that she can't get rid of. Um, and she gave me this little nugget of wisdom that I thought was really good. She said to me, when I hear God, he's often in the whispers. Which is what Elijah heard, right? He heard the still, small voice of God. And we can, hear, we can learn a lot about God's voice from the way that he spoke to Elijah. God speaks to us. He wants a relationship with us. Elijah had an intimate relationship with God and he had faith that God was speaking to him. It's also important to know that you don't have to earn God's voice. God is always with you in your highs and your lows of faith, just like he was with Elijah. God didn't abandon or condemn Elijah, and he certainly wasn't with Elijah because he was important. This series is, is called Ordinary, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Lives. Three, Elijah knew how to recognize God's voice. 
Now, my favorite, and I think it's the best way to recognize God's voice, the best way you can recognize God's voice is to uh, read your Bible. Because by reading the Bible, we can access what God, God's character is and how he speaks to us. And by doing that, it's like an anchor for recognizing, if you think you've heard God, the Bible is an anchor for recognizing that it's him speaking to you. Lastly, Elijah listened for God and listened to God. My last question to you is, do you take time out to listen to God, to hear his insight into your lives? God speaks today. Are we listening? So um, when I hear from God, it's almost exclusively in the form of images, like God just gives me pictures and then normally associates some, I don't know, words with it, just instantly feel like they've got meaning um, and they're not just random thoughts popping into my head. And God shared a, gave me a picture while we were doing that little cool session and um, I tried to draw it. I'm a really, really bad artist, so... I'll try and talk you through it. So basically, I got this picture of these three doors. And I got immediately the sense that there are people here that have got choices to make. And they feel like they are trying to be so obedient to God. And they are waiting and trying to listen for what God has got in store for them. And they just don't feel like they're hearing anything. They even struggle to maybe sit through that preach with all of its truth thinking, I'm listening for the whisper, God, but I'm just not hearing you. I don't know which door to go through. I don't know what to do. And I felt God say at times like that, that's when you need to fall back on the promises of God. That's when you need to fall back on the promises of God. And I saw this other image, which was the three doors open. And through all the doors was the same place. And in my head, that place was like a beautiful garden, not a bunch of random squiggles. But that was representative of a good place. And they were all the same, good place. Yeah, they were different routes, but they're a good place. And he just put into my head Romans 8.28, which basically says, for those that are called according to his purposes, God is working all things for good. And you can trust in God that he is leading you to good places and that you can be bold and make a decision. Just before I pray, um, Holly shared a really helpful analogy about listening to God, uh, which is that it's like learning a language. And it's something that we learn in community, and it's something that we learn alongside each other. It's not something we do by ourselves. I think that's really helpful for all of us. As we go from here, let's not just stay about the same, listen to God about the same as we would have done. If you've never heard him before, please do come and chat to us, chat to someone else who you know does. And don't feel embarrassed to say that you've never heard God because there's plenty of people who haven't and that's where we all start. And if you've heard God speak loads of times, still go and find someone who hears from him in a different way because we never stop learning. We can never hear enough of him and there's always new and different ways of listening.
Let's do it as community. Let's do it together and let's learn the language of God together.